health equity has to be embedded into an organization with specific goals and strategies, along with the investment behind those strategies in order to work toward positive outcomes. Hey, what's up? This is Corey Dion Lewis, clinical health coach and host of the Healthy Project podcast. Now the research shows that social determinants can have a greater impact on your health more than healthcare or lifestyle choices. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss how to improve health and reduce health inequity by speaking to healthcare professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, give it a review, or you can also make a donation to The Healthy Project using the link in the description. It takes 30 seconds and it's super easy. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Now let's get started. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Dion Lewis. I have a great guest with me today. I'm super excited to have this conversation. I have Pamela Garman Johnson. She's the National Vice President of Health Equity and Partnerships with the American Heart Association. Pamela, thank you so much for being here. I truly appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. So before we get into the conversation, can you tell the people a little bit about yourself and what gets you up in the morning? Yes. Yeah, so um, as you stated, I'm Pamela Garman Johnson. I've had the opportunity to be with the American Heart Association um, for 26 years, almost 27. Yes, I started as a teenager. Um, and during that time period, I've seen the AHA evolve, and I've evolved too and grown quite um, exponentially as a business professional where I embarked upon, um, I was an accountant, and then the, I had the opportunity to transition into marketing at American Heart while I was working on my MBA. And because of two individuals that opened a door for me, it allowed me to see how the AHA worked how it blended um, both advocacy, research, education, revenue generation in order to position the American Heart Association to deliver the best evidence-based um, research um, that translates into care. And so I've always um, worked on initiatives that um, were started from the ground up, focusing on disease states for many, many, many years. Um, and then transitioning into traditional public health, coupled with um, addressing the social determinants of health, as well as focusing on diversifying the pipeline in the healthcare, and then investing in communities through um, social entrepreneurs. So my scope at American Heart Association has been one that allowed me to evolve from how we communicate broadly about diseases, to focusing in on those that have the greatest disparities, and then moving into how do we address these issues from the root cause, and then invest in community-centered solutions. So I am forever grateful for um, the journey that I've had to date, and then also the relationships that I've built along the way, even with national organizations that have trusted the American Heart Association as we've trusted them to work in collaboration with each other to make transformative and sustainable impact in our communities. Man, that's that's dope. And it sounds like with 
the American Heart Association, you were able, you went from being, it's always interesting where people start. You started as an accountant and now you're doing this, doing this work. And it sounds like the American Heart Association made some changes and evolved throughout the time as well. So you're able to kind of go through that together in a way. Yes, we did. And I saw us evolve, right? So we moved from, you know, if you think about the work that you know about the American Heart Association, mm -hmm. but what uh, makes me really proud is that we evolved to focus on health equity and not just focus on it, but then to really make a commitment through our 10 commitments to say, this is how our association as a whole, not just from one department or one individual trying to lead the work, because that, that strategy, that model does not work. Like we know that. Mm -hmm. it ha health equity has to be embedded into an organization with specific goals and strategies, along with the investment behind those strategies in order to work toward positive outcomes. And I think that evolution, honestly, Corey, is um, why it's allowed me to stay at the AHA for the length of time that I have and to be recognized for the expertise and being a subject matter expert in this area but then also having a dynamic team that are also SMEs to enable us to be the best organization that, that we can be in this space. So um, yes, I am a proud American Heart Association employee, but I don't take that lightly. Like, I don't right. know if everybody, when they wake up every day, you ask me about my why, um, that they get to go and do what they love. And what prompted right. me to... Um, and my why is that so many of my family and my community growing up in rural East Texas, they suffered disproportionately from cardiovascular risk factors, from hypertension, diabetes, kidney failure, from cancer. And it's all because they didn't have the ability to have access to the resources, nor did they have the knowledge nor did they have the advocates for them when they did get sick. So going to the hospital, seeing your um, family members or friends Man. of the family lose limbs, their eyesight. There's many people that never seen that. But I grew up as a young person seeing that. So I knew that there had to be a better way. So that's the reason why I push when others don't want to push. I speak up when others are silent because they're, when we see these numbers on these reports, those are actually people. And they represent right. many of the people that we know and love in our communities. And so for some, it's just numbers. For me personally, they are people that I know and care about and love. And um, I was blessed to uh, be provided with a, a seat at the table. And so if I don't do anything with that, then it's all for naught. So it's important. Um, I believe, Corey, you have a great platform um, working together and not in silos and uplifting what we see are solutions based upon our lived experience and our work experience. That's what we're really charged to do. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about us working together Absolutely. so we can make impact. 
Absolutely. And you, you said something we talk a lot about in, in our community about breaking um, ancestral trauma or, or trauma, but I don't think we talk about it enough in the sense of our health. There are a lot of people like yourself that have similar stories of, I saw this growing up and I want to change that. And that is a part of breaking that, that generational curse. You know what I mean? Chronic disease is something that is preventable, but someone has to stop it. Someone has to say, hey, yo, this ain't it. And that could be that could be a whole nother conversation. I want to stay on that, stay on topic. But it, it brings up something that is so is so important that people like yourself and, and others that are saying, yo, I had this experience and I need to stop it for my community. And you're using your privilege and your platform to be able to do it on a huge scale. So I got to, I got to give credit where credit is due. That is amazing. Well, you know what? Um, we need more of us to join forces to make an impact. And um, I take the titles away, take all that away. Most of us, because of our family dynamics, we, we know what it looks like. We felt it. And so remove the titles and let's just talk about, let's just get down, do the grassroots work because it's through those local policies and through the foot soldiers on the ground that are also um, impactful in doing their work. Let's enable them to continue to do the work because they know what needs to be done and they know that but they've never received their necessary resources to be able to build capacity to have that sustainability. So they don't really need others to come in and tell them what to do. They really don't. They may need tweaks. They may need tweaks to language or they, or just building capacity, but just telling them what to do. Not really. Because they know. They've just never been equipped with the necessary resources to get the work done. I, you know, I I sit in a lot of meetings, as do you, (laughs) and you listen to conversations and you're like, but we had these same conversations 10 years ago, right? Or you sit down with partners and you're like, but you know, this organization is doing this work, correct? The work is in silos. And so I think there is this unique opportunity in using technology to break down these invisible walls that have been built and start to Mm -hmm. share and collaborate and think about what piece of the puzzle we are of this big picture. Because we can't be the whole picture. Your puzzle, your puzzle piece is not that big, right? But you have a piece of the puzzle that can make this bigger picture. And I truly believe that that is where we are right now as organizations to be able to accomplish that and then utilize the resources in that we each have in the most effective way. You know, Corey, when I think about what it means to own your square, Um, It really means that each organization or each individual has this unique opportunity 
to focus in on their square, right? So each of us works on our respective squares and that creates this beautiful photo, this picture, but it keeps us from being in silos. But we have to have these conversations to remove these invisible walls that allows us to talk about where are we, the SME, and then see how we connect to the next organization or individual. And don't try to like build something that already exists. Leverage it. You know, it, it saves you time, resources, but until we start to have the conversation or don't feel threatened that, oh my goodness, they are getting in my lane. No, I'm not getting your lane. But if we were to create this ecosystem, then we all will benefit. We will all generate additional revenue. We will have exponential impact. But don't Absolutely. go at it from a deficit-based mindset, but more of an asset-based mindset. Because from that lens, you're able to say, I can do this extremely well. And if I'm connected to you or hitched to you, then we're going to go so much faster. Yeah. And we can reach so many more people. You know, I, I love that, that look, if you're in, if you're in my lane, good. Cause you still may know something that I don't know. And I may know something you don't know. And we can help so many more people by like you were saying, not working in silos and breaking down those invisible walls to where we can do some really, really good things for our, for our community. Um, that leads to kind of the, the first question and, and what we were talking about today and is that community to clinical linkage. Um, for those people that are not really familiar with that, can you talk uh, a little bit about what that means, the community to uh, clinical link? You know, um, community to clinical linkage is how does the community connect to the clinical setting? And let me break down what is clinical setting. It is your uh, physician's office. It is the community clinic. It's the FQHC. It is your nutritionist. It is your community health worker. That whole clinical setting, how you're connected to that, from the community lens as an individual, where I live, work, play, and pray, how am I connected back to those particular settings or individuals? And so what we, what we talked about earlier is that, how are we not in silos? So just to give an example of what that looks like, we now see clinical settings embedded into housing developments. And when I say housing developments, I mean within condos or apartments or senior centers. They're built into the first floor along with small grocery stores. So I am meeting people where they are by putting the clinical setting to make it inside of where people are to make it easy for them. The same exists for faith-based institutions. We now see that faith communities are allowing for space for that community um, health center just to be embedded there, along yeah. with commercial kitchens so that I can teach people so that they can go into the hospitality industry. You don't have to commute an hour to go and get trained in something or to um, go for your education. You can do everything right here. 
So removing those barriers allow for that community to clinical linkage to occur. And what's most important is to identify through this process what those barriers are so we can address them in one place. So if I have issues with food insecurity and housing and transportation, I'm documenting that. But then I'm also at the same time setting you up to for appointments to address those areas mm-hmm. right then and there instead of you, I'm telling you that, and then the likelihood of you taking that action, it's not very high. So instead of having making you go and do it, I can just do it for you, one-stop shop. I believe that community to clinical is the way forward um, for us as a country, and we see it continuing to evolve because our lifestyles, because of technology, we think that technology we gotta use technology to benefit us, but then we also have to have the infrastructure to support what technology can do for us. So that infrastructure, that investment to create that ecosystem enables the technology to work more efficiently and effectively. Yes, see, I I love technology, but technology doesn't help when uh, people have, don't have access to transportation to get to the hospital. You, you, You know what I mean? So using this community to clinical linkages i can see is it's almost that saying you know bring bringing the hospital to the community not having making making them having to come to the hospital for their services and and i've seen this work really really well as far as having you know uh you know a church have a wellness clinic in their in the basement where people don't have to worry about trying to get a ride to the hospital when they can just walk to the church, you know, and they're getting that care that they never really would have gotten before. I don't see it everywhere. I don't see it a lot, but there that's a win, you know, and instead of having to worry about someone no showing because they can't get a drive ride that to the hospital is 20 minutes away and being able to be in their community would be so much more of a benefit. Most definitely. And they are where they trust the institution, right? Where they are. And then two, I talked about diversifying the pipeline in the healthcare. So if this is occurring at my church and then the physicians, nurses, community health workers are part of that ecosystem, you have a trust level because you trust that institution. So it it starts to mitigate, I'm not gonna say that it eradicates, I, it re- right. mitigates that some of the barriers that exist. So, but we can't continue to do what we've been doing because it has not bode well for um, we black and brown communities it has not bode well for, No, nor has it bode well for those in rural communities either. You know, I, um, I you heard me mention earlier, I grew up in a rural community right. and, you know, Miss Brewster, I'm, I'm going to use her name because she's been a blessing um, to many, but you know what she used to do, what she did in retirement, everyone that had a doctor's appointment, 
that was 40 minutes away because that's the only place you could go to get any type oh, of specialty wow. care. She would load them up in her van. They would all leave early in the morning and they know they wouldn't come back until sometime late afternoon. So they did accommodated everybody's appointments for that day. See, that's what happens has to happen because there's wow. no Uber. There's no hospital van that's coming to pick people up and take them. But she created that system. I want you to think about that. Wow. Now, she doesn't know that that is what some of the hospital systems do in the larger cities. But she came up with that idea. Now, just think, if we invested in that in rural communities where you hired somebody from the community to take these individuals on these dates, make sure they have their appointments on these dates, then she can take them. Because otherwise, they wouldn't go. So think about how that's impacting their health, Corey, Think or their longevity. Yeah. But she figured that out because out of the kindness of her heart, and she's done it for years, years. And but otherwise, these individuals, would, they wouldn't be able to go to mm -hmm. the hospital or go to, not hospital, but for their appointments. And, you know, you, you know, when you get the, um, okay, you need to see this person, this person, and then it ends up being on two different days. Yep. One's in the morning, one's in the evening. Now, some of us are fortunate to be able to take off and it's accommodated, right? But for others, they can't take off a half a day. So if they're going to do all these appointments, they need to be on one day. So if they can't get that, they can't take off multiple days because guess what? Their child's graduation is coming up and they need to be off for that. Or I need to attend the parent-teacher conference and it it's at this time. So if I'm going to be able to attend that parent-teacher conference for my child, I got, so you're going to put your child over you. That's what naturally right. occurs. So we've got to figure out a way in this model so that when I come home from work and I show up where I live and there's the health center that's embedded there, I can go in and have my appointment because they have extended hours on Tuesdays and Thursdays and there to eight o'clock. So it's, um, for some, I know they don't understand but this is the lived experience for a large percentage, millions of Americans, because they just don't, it's not that they don't want to do the right thing. They just don't have the access to be able to do the right thing. Right. No, that's, that's real. So I, you know, Pamela, I see the, the benefit and I, and um, I love, you know, the, the community to, the, to clinical linkages, but how do we, how are you measuring the impact of, of this? What to address these social determinants? A uh, really great question. You know what? So over the last five years, we've seen an evolution of social navigation platforms arise. And I'm going to talk about what that is because people may say, what's that? <laughs> but, you know, social navigation platforms allow for the clinical setting and the community setting both to be connected through a um, software that then says if a person is in the clinical setting 
and I ask them a series of questions and I recognize that they are food insecure or housing insecure, they didn't have transportation for their next appointment, that I can address it there. Or I am at a community-based organization and I ask the question of when was the last time you had your blood pressure checked or when was the last time you had a physical and I realize you haven't, then I can work to get you an appointment with that um, health center that is connected to that community-based organization. Mm. So I remove you having to go and call. I can sit there and work to make that happen on my end in the community-based setting. I think that is, um, you ask how you measure it. Well, then I get a report every month, both on the clinical side and on the community-based organization side to say, de-identify what resources were most utilized as a part of this platform. Are most of my patients food insecure? Because if they are, then if you're thinking about, if I want to invest more in a community, I would put it around food insecurity. Or I now have the data to say, the majority of my patient population are housing insecure. Now, people think that housing insecurity is about people being homeless. No, that is not Mm -hmm. it. That means that either they are not able to make their rent or their mortgage, or if they lost their job tomorrow, they wouldn't be able to pay their mortgage or pay their rent. And it also means that... um, if individuals um, are paying over like 50% of their net income every month on housing, they are housing insecure. So if you think about that, if something traumatic happens in your life, that's the reason why we see individuals, you're like, what happened to them? And it's like this one trigger, one thing that happened that then triggered this whole other series of events. And you could have addressed it, measured it, or you start to invest where you see the majority of your patient population having their greatest struggles. Wow. So social, social navigation systems, you you said that's what they're called. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, mm -hmm. So I can give some examples. I hate to give brands, but there are some that really stick out. Um, or that are more prevalent or more prominent Mm -hmm. um, just by the sheer size. So you can take like a Unite Us. You could take a Find Help. So those social navigation platforms, um, but that allows for that community to clinical linkage to be measured to talk about the effectiveness of the work. Um, And, you know, through the American Heart Association, We have been able to work with both platforms. And what I will share is that, you know, it's not an either or, but a both and, um, because they both offer um, the ability to connect. But one does work in this closed loop environment that, um, um, that sometimes is warranted, especially when you are working in specific communities, so that you do need to track um, especially those that are, um, don't have access mm-hmm. as well, you know, in an area that may, that may not have access, but you need to invest and, um, you need to know what you're going to invest in. 
Right. And and from I mean, from a from my standpoint, having that having that data will allow you to figure out, okay, what are some health equity initiatives that we can that we can do in our community? Maybe wow, that's really, really cool. That's really cool. Um, thank you for that. You know, in in light, you know, of our conversation today, what you know, what is that one message you'd want to leave our listeners with? about the importance of health equity and the community to clinical linkages? Hmm. Which is a great question. There's so many key things that I think we all need to um, embrace. Um, But I would probably say that we each have a role to play in ensuring that our communities are better and healthier. And so Let's all roll up our sleeves and jump in and get involved in some community organization. Help build the capacity so that we can enable the best community to clinical linkage. Let's invest both in the clinical setting, invest in the community setting, so we have A plus on both fronts. It doesn't help that my clinical setting is an A plus and then the community doesn't want to go to the clinical setting. So you got this big shiny um, object over here, but nobody wants to go to the shiny object. We have to create the right value proposition for that. But us getting involved, getting involved enables that community to clinical setting um, uh, linkage to work because we understand it because you're witnessing it firsthand. Right, right. And all it takes is just getting out into the community. Like I feel like I, I feel like this it's it's almost like it's so easy yet so hard, if that makes sense. Like getting the kit how do we get people to um one, you know, take time to say, Hey, I wanna I wanna be a part of my improving my community's health, whatever social driver they're they're experiencing in that area. Uh, and how do we get people to want to be a part of that solution? You know what? If we are talking about it, then that means we need to do something about it. So when you're having conversations, you know, we see all these different TV programs. They show people that have had a stroke, a heart attack. We watch DeMar Hamlin have... Um, his heart stopped on the football field. Now he's an ambassador for the American Heart Association. And now we're saying everybody needs to learn hands-only CPR because you can save a life. Yeah. He is saving lives because now more people are learning how to perform hands-only CPR. It's amazing how um, one incident could transform a community But we all have to, I believe we each have a responsibility because we're taking up space. (laughs) (laughs) We are all taking up space, okay? (laughs) We do each have, we we really do have a responsibility as citizens, just like voting, right? To make our communities better. Don't just take from it, give back to it. Because you're here 
because someone opened the door for you or made it better for you. So right. what are you going to do to make sure that your community is better because someone did that for you? It's not a bad proposition, you know? It's really not. And I'm gonna quote Robert Smith um, because when he his first gift to Morehouse College, to those students was when you graduate, you make sure that you give back to one student, right? Mm, because yeah. he didn't say you need to come and give back to all the students financially, but I'm doing this for you so that you it's enabling you to then do this for someone else. That's what I mean. It's not about boiling the ocean. It's just out of respect, just knowing, even though you didn't see the person open that door for you, but know that someone did to enable you to be where you are today. Yep. And we're going to leave it at that, people. And then that's <laughs> I can say. <laughs> Pamela, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. For um, anybody listening that wants to learn more about you, uh, what you're doing at the American Heart Association, uh, where can they reach out? Where can they find you? You know what? I always utilize my LinkedIn profile, Pamela Garman Johnson on LinkedIn. And if there's something that you're interested in regarding the American Heart Association, uh, please do not hesitate to send me a message and I will connect you accordingly. And thank you so much, Corey. This was an amazing opportunity and congratulations um, to uplifting, creating a platform to talk about the issues that are really important to communities, to our country. Because if we don't talk about it and put some action into what we're talking about, then we will still have these same conversations. And I sure don't want to have these same conversations 10 years from now. Absolutely. No, I appreciate that. And we're going we're gonna to fight the good fight. That's, that's <laughs> yes, for sure. Happy um, Juneteenth. Happy Juneteenth. Uh, Pamela, again, thank you so much. Uh, and everybody, thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I'll let you next time. <laughs>